From Washington, I'm David Schultz, and this is Talking Tax. So today's episode is about crypto and other digital assets, and you may be thinking to yourself, hey, isn't all that stuff now basically worthless? Why are we still talking about it? Well, first off, no, we're in a pretty epic bear market for crypto, but as you'll hear in a bit, there's actually still a lot of activity in this space. And secondly, it's important to talk about because tax collectors, both at the federal and state levels, still haven't really figured out how all this stuff works, and that's a problem. We're going to be discussing this problem and potential solutions with two people intimately familiar with this space. Miles Fuller is the Director of Government Solutions for TaxBit, Inc., a company that helps with digital asset compliance and reporting. And Fran D'Antonio is Director for Revenue Solutions, Inc., a consulting group that works with state and local governments on improving tax collection. They spoke to Bloomberg Tax and Accounting's Michael Bologna about the future of taxing crypto. And Fran started off by talking about the enormous tax gap here. In general, tax gap is the essentially the difference between what is actually collected versus what you know should be or could be collected if all taxpayers were compliant. And when it comes to the tax gap for cryptocurrencies, uh, that's actually a really difficult thing to calculate. There's really no perfect or clean way to do that. And a big part of that is just around the limitations of data that's available to calculate it to, uh, to a specific amount. But you know, if you look at uh, you know, different ways to at least ballpark estimate it. What you calculate is that the number's not small. Uh, you know, I've seen if, if you, a very simplistic way to do it, you know, you can get to a number less, and that's around 10, 12 billion. Uh, do I think it's that high? Probably not, but, you know, that's really not important. I mean, and the reason I say it's not important is because right now there really hasn't been much of a focus on this tax gap. So, whether it's 10 billion or 12 billion or 5 billion, whatever that number is, the important thing is on a rough order of magnitude, uh, it's significant. And these, you know, when I'm saying 10 to 12 billion, I'm referring just to within the United States. But it's, it's your general feeling that that's, there's really not much tax getting collected on transactions involving these digital assets, right? That's correct. It's primarily relying on voluntary and compliance right now. There's uh, has not been much enforcement. I won't say there hasn't been any. That's not true. Um, but we're primarily relying upon voluntary compliance right now. And as we all know, if we have the option to pay, most taxpayers don't typically take that option. But there are some. Uh, so, you know, the tax gap is large as a, as a result. Well, Miles, then why don't you tell us a little bit? Uh, I know you're an attorney uh, about the current uh, tax regulatory landscape. How has the IRS historically treated cryptocurrencies and NFTs? Um, and can you also touch on maybe some of these regulations that we, we got from IRS and Treasury just recently uh, dealing with uh, reporting requirements? Yeah, I can touch on all of those. And even as we get into that, I'll touch one last uh, final thought on what Fran was talking about with the tax gap. I think the IRS just a few weeks ago had an announcement at its level, at the federal level, where it was talking about its enforcement or compliance initiatives. And one of them was in digital assets. And they they had a, st- a statistic there of a, like non-compliance rate in the crypto or digital asset space of almost 75% based on some of their data. So that tells you that, you know, if you're thinking only 25% of the people, as Fran put it, are being voluntary compliant, <laughs> that means there's a very large non-compliance component. Uh, there's sort of two elements there from a substantive tax standpoint to your question, Michael. There's first, how is the IRS going about taxing this? Uh, at a base level, it's property. They, you know, it's not legal tender, so it's not cash. It doesn't get cheap, treated like cash at all. So the approach to taxing it is just as property. If you buy it 
or you know, and hold it and later sell it, you might have capital gain or loss. If you receive it in return for goods or services, it's going to be viewed as income to you. So I, I used to joke uh, as a lawyer for the IRS for some time, we've talked when we first were dealing with this stuff, you talk to examiners about making sure you know, pull out the old, the old tax books around bartering income and those type of transactions, because that's really what comes into play if you're receiving it as a form of payment or using it as a form of payment. You'd use it there. And so more recently, though, the IRS has tried to tackle some of the nuanced issues that come up. So one of the things that digital assets has come up with or cryptocurrency is there are some novel economic arrangements with the way it functions. And those have posed a little bit of different uh, questions from a tax standpoint that there isn't existing tax rules on. So one of them you'll hear about uh, sometimes in the space is what about staking or mining? These are these are activities that relate specifically to digital asset stuff or cryptocurrency stuff. And it's when you're helping validate transactions and you might receive newly created coins or units in return for doing that work. What's the question there? What's the timing question? So the IRS uh, just over the summer put out some guidance around that. So that's all on what I view as a like from a tax practitioner standpoint, like substantive tax questions. But then you have a different side, which is really the administrative side of tax, which is the act of doing your tax returns. And that's where you mentioned sort of recently there was a big news announcement from the Treasury Department about regulations that were released uh, that are implementing a law that was passed almost two years ago, which is information, tax information reporting. Uh, for digital assets. And this law would apply to brokers. So much like most of us today might get a W-2 from our employer, or we might get a 1099 document from our broker, like a Charles Schwab or a Merrill Lynch, that tells us what stocks we sold. Uh, We are now going to see in the digital asset space, you're going to be getting from a broker, if you bought or sold a particular cryptocurrency, you'll be getting a document that tells you what you bought it for, what you sold it for, what your gain or loss is. And these, this regulations implement this new law. But the goal here is to create transparency around the transactions and do two things. It's one, it's sort of a consumer side push. It makes it easier for individuals to file their taxes in this space and to be compliant because they'll get more clear data. Uh, But the other side goes a little bit to what Fran talked about with the tax gap. It's the idea that now the IRS will also get information about what transactions are happening uh, and then be able to take that and look to see if people are being compliant. Uh Okay. So, Miles, tell us also, you know, a couple of years ago, we knew the IRS had this initiative and it was sort of a check the box protocol on your federal income tax return. Uh, and and people were supposed to disclose. Did, didn't that work, or did that address the tax gap in any regard, or or voluntary compliance? We haven't seen any statistics out of the IRS of how that played out, but you're correct. So it, with beginning with the 2019 tax year, so this would have been your tax returns you filed in early 2020, the IRS added a question to Schedule 1, which is a form some people have to use when they file their Form 1040. It's one of the attachments where they asked a question that was pretty direct about, did you have any involvement with virtual at the time, what they would refer to as virtual currency? That was the term of art at that point in time. And then since then, after that, they moved it. It's actually right on the the face of a Form 1040. And so it's very, you would think in all of our years of tax filing history, it's very uncommon to put a very explicit question about uh, someone's economic activity right on a Form 1040. So it's not clear. I would like to think that having that question has improved compliance somewhat, but it's totally not clear. I don't think the IRS has ever spoken to like how much the compliance needle moved, like whether they saw more people reporting after that question went live on the tax return or not. They've never really disclosed that. Um, I'm sure internally that they're using what people report for their own purposes and deciding who to look at and 
I imagine if someone says yes, but then didn't report any cryptocurrency transactions on their tax return, that's probably a big flag for the IRS. Uh, Fran, now, uh, Miles has told us uh, a lot about what's uh, sort of happening at, on the regulatory front at the federal level. What, what about at the, the state level? Have the states really attempted to define or regulate in this space or not? So I've talked to more than 10 states, uh, asking them specifically around kind of what they're focused on. And, you know, the most common answer I've gotten back is that from a tax standpoint, uh, this is not an area that they've really spent much time or focus on yet. And, you know, when you ask them why, the most common answer I got is they're really waiting for clarity uh, from the IRS and they want the IRS to kind of lead the charge uh, and they'll follow their lead. Uh, the other answer I've gotten as well is that they just, uh, you know, they don't really understand the space. They don't understand what digital assets are, and, and which is very understandable. I know for me personally, uh, when I started uh, coming up the learning curve in this space, it's a very steep learning curve, and it's a very abstract concept to really understand what uh, digital assets are. I'm wondering, too, if the markets for these kinds of assets are so volatile, we even saw some reporting recently about uh, a lot of NFTs being, you know, practically worthless. Uh, and of course, we've seen the Justice Department, and the SEC take some pretty stern uh, approaches to some of the large uh, marketplaces out there. So, Miles, what about uh, cryptocurrency? Are you uh, still kind of bullish on the uh, business model for that? There's been a lot of price variation over the years. Yeah, I think, well, and I think it's uh, regardless of which direction it goes, uh, I think it'll continue to grow. We're seeing, as particularly in light of these recently released regs, that'll be a nudge towards clarity, as Fran mentioned, sort of at the state level. States are interested in clarity, I think even at the federal level, and I think really at the user level. Users are interested in some sort of regulatory or, and, and tax clarity. Uh, you mentioned the stuff going on with the SEC and CFTC with some lawsuits or enforcement actions and Department of Justice, all of that is trying to clean up what might be some bad actors or some uncertainties in the space. As we get more clarity, there is more room for adoption. You had early adopters who were happy to rush in into the uncertainty, um, and a lot of them maybe made a lot of money. Uh, but then you have, after that sort of goes away, really you have everyone else on the sidelines waiting for some clarity about the direction things are going before they want to go in. But now we might start seeing some clarity and some evolution in the ecosystem. I think you will continue to see growth at maybe a more moderate pace of adoption. Uh, I do think from a tax regulation standpoint or a tax agency standpoint, though, you do see, and even as Fran described it, you kind of start to see this division of like where are these things going or how is this stuff evolving? You start to see states talk about it from a sales tax or a business and use tax standpoint, not so much an income tax because they're not buying an asset that's going to value, but they're they're buying something that's a right to a good or something like that that allows for a sales tax mechanism to come into play. And we've seen some states out there, Washington State, uh, which does not have an income tax, but is sort of a leader in the foray of sales tax regulation around NFTs is really pushing the envelope there. And that's at a state level because obviously there's no federal level sales tax. But then at the federal level, you have some other questions. And I do think from a tax administration standpoint, when you have things that are volatile in value, you're always looking for tax, right? If you just buy something and hold it because it doesn't really change in value, then there's really no need for the tax concern. If things are going up in increasingly in value and then you're selling them to profit from them, that's where tax comes in. So volatility, I think, lends itself to the eye of a tax regulator to want to be like, hey, there's lots of volatility. That means there's probably someone here making money. Um, there could be people losing money. There almost certainly are people losing money as well, but there's people making money and we, we need to be paying attention to that. 
so you know, when it comes to digital assets, it's it, it, this is really a space that's been built on uh, on promise and potential, uh, and it's potential that for the most part has been mostly unrealized. Uh, but there's been a lot of investment and a lot of growth. And even though I mean everyone's for the most part is aware that uh, this space has been an incredible bear market, arguably the worst it's ever experienced uh, over the last couple of years. When you when you look at the number of I'll just use Bitcoin as an example. Wallets that have been created that own a, a tenth, uh, a hundredth, or an entire Bitcoin. The number of wallets during this incredible bear market has actually continued to grow, which gives you an idea that the network is actually growing as well. Which you can you can maybe deduce from that 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 gives you an idea on adoption. But you know that's something for the audience to ponder. So basing this space purely on price, I think, is a mistake. And I think people need to take a look at, you know, how it, the the potential for it, so the the projects that are out there, uh, and the promise it potentially will provide for the future. I was hoping that you could also talk a little bit about how um, you see the states possibly adapting their uh, protocols in terms of regulation and taxation in particular over the next five years. And what I think you had some advice for state tax administrators along those lines. Yeah, I think a lot of the states are going to are going to align with the IRS. They're going to let the IRS take the lead. But, you know, what can they be doing now is really the question in hand. You know, the, the first thing uh, for any new technology, whether it's cryptocurrency or intelligent automation or artificial intelligence, whatever it might be, you know, the first thing is certainly education. Uh, and for the states, you know, that's certainly the place to begin is to get educated on just what digital assets are to begin with. But there's really a lot more to that as well that they can start to learn now in order to figure out, you know, really how they want to go about, you know, taxing the space. So, you know, one example of that is they can start to look at some of the data that, that is out there. Certainly the IRS data, the Schedule D data, I think downloading that or getting access to that so they can start to understand how many taxpayers and which taxpayers have cryptocurrency transactions within their individual income return, uh, I think would be good. You know, understanding are they spending, are they sending out mostly refunds? Are they actually getting any tax collections from this? You know, what is the impact that cryptocurrency is having on their individual state? Um, and, you know, it's another aspect of education. And, and Miles, I, I didn't know if maybe you had some other thoughts along those lines or. No, I agree with Fran on that. I think the biggest move uh, that the states can do today is continue to, to get educated and really start to think about what is their strategic plan in this space. I do think, as Fran pointed out, one of the difficulties that the states have relative to the federal government, it's probably harder to identify which of their state-level residents are the ones that are doing crypto, whereas you know, when you're at a federal level, it's like, hey, I'll got to figure out, if, if, are, you, are you a U.S. person, and then you owe you know, tax. But it's much harder when you start breaking it down to state level, where you have these geographical things within the United States, and well, are you, you know, someone who might be in Nebraska or someone who might be in Iowa? And who, who is it my person or that person that's doing this, this stuff? But that becomes a little bit difficult. But states should start thinking about what, like, what steps could they take to kind of solve those problems. There does seem to be some foregone value there from a state revenue standpoint, and relying only on the IRS, knowing that the IRS has limited resources itself to go after some of this stuff, may not be the best approach at the state level. It may be better if they, you know, try to tackle a little bit of a little bit of it on their own. And then, as Fran pointed out, trying to get access to what data they can to help inform those decisions, like whether that's the information sharing that they have, you know, certain agreements with the federal government, with the IRS to get information about stuff and trying to figure it out. 
Like one state, for example, Nebraska, actually asks the same question on their state-level income tax return that the federal government asks. So they're, they're collecting information. So the question there would be like, well, what's Nebraska doing with that information? Are they using that to go out and identify things? I would assume they're doing something like that if they're asking that question. That was Miles Fuller with TaxBit and Fran D'Antonio with Revenue Solutions talking to Michael Bologna. And that's it for today's podcast. You can find up-to-the-minute news and latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's Talking Tax was produced by myself, David Schultz. Naomi Jagoda is our editor. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. Those nine justices in Washington can be hard to keep track of. That's where we come in. I'm Kimberly Robinson. I'm Greg Storr. And I'm Lydia Wheeler. On our podcast, Cases and Controversies, we give you a week-by-week accounting of the Supreme Court. The filings, the arguments, the yachts, and much, much more. Check in on Fridays with Cases and Controversies to find out what's coming up on the horizon at the Supreme Court. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.